The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. We're in Ephesians chapter 2. If you... uh need a Bible, we buy crates of them because we like to give Bibles away. We think uh, everybody should have one, and so those are free. They're available out in the hall. You can ask someone with a Here to Help badge as well. Uh, That'd be our gift to you. We don't want anything from you, but we want everybody to have a Bible. If you don't have something with you right now, a Bible or an app with which to follow along, the verses will be on the screens uh, so we can all study God's Word together, okay? So what are we doing today? Today we're continuing in our verse-by-verse study of the book of Ephesians. Uh, We've titled this series, Death to Division, and though this epistle is full of reasons why that title makes sense, today we're going to encounter the verses that lay this principle out most clearly for us. So the big idea is that sin separates and divides, but Jesus and his gospel restore and reconcile. The division that sin creates is not only a separation from full fellowship and relationship between man and God, but also between man and man. Sin is disobeying God and moving outside of the benevolent boundaries he has set for us to be safe and to flourish. Disobeying God is also a tragic departure from the purpose for which we were created. Anybody who has ever tried to use a screwdriver as a hammer or vice versa has experienced the frustrating futility of something operating outside of its intended purpose. Um, I honestly couldn't tell you how many times I've broken a tool trying to bang on something instead of going to get a hammer, right? You know, I'm, I'm that guy. All right, I can make this work. Bang! Bang! Snap! Well, I guess I can't make it work, all right? We'll go get the hammer. (laughs) Uh, Lots of times. So dumb. But um, I know I do that with tools, but many of us do that in much broader and and potentially more devastating ways. Nobody's going to admit to it, I guess, but at least I went first. I paved the way for you. Uh, (laughs) here's, Here's the reality. God made us to know him and love him and trust him. And when we walk in those purposes it follows naturally that we would obey him. The problem is that sin gets in the way of us knowing, loving, and trusting him, and then this leads to more sin. It's a vicious cycle. The Bible is clear in Romans 3 and 1 John 1 and elsewhere that there is not one of us who is perfect. There is not one person who is without sin. We are born with an inherited sin nature passed down from Adam, and we each choose to sin in our own foolishness. This sin separates and divides, but Jesus reconciles and restores. And these verses today are going to lay this out for us in a challenging, encouraging, and powerful way. So I hope you turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 11 and read through to uh, the end of the chapter, which is verse 22. So this is Ephesians 2, 11. Here we go. 
Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember, you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having been put to death the enmity. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Praise God for his word. Let's start back at verses 11 and 12. They start with this word, therefore. And so we know that this ties all that we're about to study to the verses before that we studied last week where Paul lays out that we are saved by grace through faith, not as a result of our works. It is the free gift of God. Paul hammers that frontwards and backwards and flips it upside down, turns it inside out. He really brings that point home in the first 10 verses of Ephesians 2. And then the rest of what he's saying here now is flowing out of that. We know that. He says, therefore, this is all implications of what he laid out in those first 10 verses. So let's just take a moment. We'll look at these two first verses that we're looking at, verses 11 and 12, because they might need a little bit of deciphering, Okay. So here he's talking about circumcision and uncircumcision. What's going on? All right. Circumcision was a sign of the covenant between Abraham and God. If you go back to Genesis 17, God told Abraham to circumcise himself and all of his household. In Romans 4, Paul explains that it was not the act of circumcision by which Abraham was made righteous, but it was by faith because he believed God. So he's making this argumentation that it wasn't the the act of circumcision, but it was that before that, far before that, Abraham believed what God said, that this circumcision was a sign and a seal of the covenant. Uh, if you want to look at Romans 4 later, you can see Paul's flow of thought argumentation on that. Uh, I'm thankful for that. I, I would like to say that I am, I'm so glad, I'm so glad that Abraham was called righteous before God by faith and not by works. I'm real thankful for that. But I also think this brother deserves a standing O for understanding that faith without works is dead, and to believe God means you have to obey God, even when it doesn't make sense to you. I mean, let's, let's try for a second to imagine that day that is recorded in Genesis 17 where Abraham gets the word as a full-grown man that God wants circumcision to be the sign and seal of their covenant. Good day, bad day. How we doing? Right? <laughs> uh, and, and maybe it's, it's just not mentioned, but there is no follow-up from Abraham about it. 
recorded in the scriptures. The only recorded response from Abraham is that he did what God asked. Now, I really think I love and trust the Lord. I have seen his trustworthiness and faithfulness be proven too much to doubt him. However, on this one, I think I may have at least pumped the brakes and asked some follow-up questions, right? Like, are you sure, God? Are you sure this is how we want to do this? Number two, like, God, could you send me a sign? I know sometimes that's kind of testing you and might get on your nerves, but... On this one, could, could we do something to confirm I'm not hearing this wrong? Because, you know, <laughs> this, yikes, right? But this brother walked it out. He did not shrink back from a command that may have even seemed odd to him, and I'm sure was difficult to, uh, to walk in that faith. So what we're seeing here happening is the people being called uncircumcision They are those who do not belong to the physical lineage of Abraham through the 12 tribes of Israel, okay? The circumcision, referred here in verses 11 and 12, they they are those who do descend from Abraham and have kept this practice as a part of following God. So the end statement here in verse 12... um, No, sorry, in verse 11. End statement in verse 11, it says, which... Circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Um, when Paul says that, that's that's Paul throwing major shade right there. Because what he's doing, there's many times, and there was many people at that point still teaching that circumcision was required to be saved. And, and Paul spends a lot of time arguing that neither circumcision or any other work is required for salvation. A lot of what he's doing in his epistles is combating that false teaching that was circulating throughout the ancient world. So what he's saying is the same thing that made Abraham righteous before God is true for every man and every woman. We are made righteous by faith alone. And to that I say praise God. Uh, Baptism is the New Testament equivalent of circumcision. And uh, I don't know, we can vote. I'm super thankful God changed that one. Just saying. I'm the only one, okay. I don't know what's wrong with y'all, but that's cool. I'd definitely rather be baptized than circumcised, but um, maybe you didn't know what I meant. That's what I meant. Now do I have any votes? Okay, sweet, good. Yikes, I thought I explained it good. Okay, we'll keep trying. But So that is why we teach here that baptism follows after salvation as an act of obedience. It does not precede salvation as a condition, okay? So same kind of deal. Paul makes that argument. Uh, over and over again. So verse 12 says that those who were not of the household of Israel, they were strangers to the covenants of promise. Okay, so we kind of dealt with what all the circumcision language is about. Then he says, you were strangers to the covenants of promise. So what does that mean? There are a series of covenants that God makes with Israel and with all of humanity throughout the Old Testament. These covenants build upon one another, and they are all pointing to the final and greater covenant made through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Um, This is not maybe an exhaustive list, but this will help you understand what I'm talking about. So God made a covenant with Adam, also known as the first gospel. It's in Genesis 3, where the consequences of sin are laid out, but also God says that uh, the seed of woman is going to crush the head of Satan, okay? And so there's there's this covenant made with Adam through that. You have the Noahic covenant that 
God said he would never flood the earth again, but he would solve the problem of sin another way. The Mosaic Covenant, that's, that's the law, right? That's the Charlton Heston movie. Um, it's with the Ten Commandments. You've got the 613 laws altogether, uh, which Galatians tells us the law was a tutor just showing us our need for Christ. The point of the law was to show the people of God they couldn't keep the law, that they needed a Messiah instead. We get mixed up sometimes, uh, and we think we can keep all of God's law, uh, but we've all proven over and over again that's not true. Uh, the last one I'll mention is David. Uh, God made a covenant with David that uh, his heir would sit upon an eternal throne. Okay, and So we know that that heir is not some physical lineage of, of David like Solomon, but uh, he's talking about Christ who came and sat upon the throne of David. So Paul is simply saying that those who were not of Israel were not often aware of these covenants or not included in them. So that's what he's talking about. Circumcision, uncircumcision, you were strangers to the covenants. That's, that's what he's dealing with, okay? And why is that? Why were there people, some people in and some people out? We don't like that, right? But here's the thing. It's because God's plan for redeeming the world was to work through a specific family, Abraham's family, who became the nation of Israel as they grew, and through this family to bring a Messiah who fulfilled all those covenants and initiated the last one. We call that one the new covenant, and it includes people from every tribe, nation, and tongue who will turn from sin to trust in Jesus. So yes, God did have this people, Israel, that sprung up out of Abraham's uh, righteousness by faith, right? So it was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then Jacob had the 12 sons. That's, that's why the Old Testament is following them, right? It's because God's doing something through that lineage. God's doing something through that people. What's he doing? He's setting the whole thing up for Christ to come to establish a new covenant that's going to welcome in. And that's primarily what these verses today are talking about, is that uh, we, there were some that were far off. That was, that was all of us that were not included because of physical connection to Abraham, but were brought in now because of Christ's finished work on the cross, for which we are thankful. Um, this, this fact that, that these, these covenants uh, run through the Old Testament the way they do, that Paul references these ideas here, this is part of what should help us understand why we can't disregard the Old Testament, okay? What, what Jesus came and did and said, it all flows out of the history of the Hebrew Bible. And friends, I promise you, when the dots begin to connect for you, and you can trace the crimson thread of the gospel from Genesis to Revelation, uh, we stop seeing the Bible as a group of fragmented ancient stories with a moral, and we begin to treasure it as the living word of God. And so I would pray that for you. I would pray that God give you wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that every page, every story, every, every book of the Bible that you're in, that you're seeing, you can see the beauty of the gospel. You can see God's redemptive plan unfolding. You know, there's a reason why he told us about Ruth. I don't have time to get into it, and if I do, we're here all night. But I'm just telling you right now, that's not some fragmented, segmented Moral story for you to read and move on. It ties into a narrative. It ties into an overall story um, that begins with creation and us messing things up, but it ends with God restoring all things to himself through Christ. Amen. That brings us, uh, that brings us to verse 13. It says, But now in Christ Jesus you who were formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
Uh, we talked last week about how the Bible uses many metaphors to describe our condition uh, before we receive the gift of grace by faith, and Jesus saves us. Uh, Paul tells us at the beginning of this chapter that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. But here, just a few verses later, he uses a different metaphor. The end of verse 12 says, we had no hope, we were without God in the world. Verse 13 says, we who were formerly far off, but because Jesus died the shameful death we should have, after he lived the perfect life we couldn't, we have been brought near. It's so precious to understand yourself as someone who was far off as a result of sin, but has been brought near by the blood of Christ. I know I was far off. It ties in neatly with another metaphor used that we're lost without Jesus. I was far off and lost and blind and sick. I was all kinds of messed up without Christ. Thank God he heals the blind and the sick and he finds the lost. And he reconciles those that are far off by his blood. Amen. You remember that covenant with Noah that I mentioned earlier? Uh, I'm going to give you guys a Bible pop quiz. I know you really like these. Okay? You ready? God gave a sign for that covenant as well, that covenant with Noah. What was it? Yell it out if you know it. A rainbow. That's right. We got a room full of Bible scholars. Amen. I feel like I'm doing halfway decent at my job. Okay. Yes, the sign of the Noahic covenant was the rainbow. Okay? So let's think about this. The flood was justice. The flood was justice. The world was full of people who were only doing evil continually. We were self-destructing the way we always do apart from God. God sent the flood to cleanse the earth and give us a chance to start again through Noah and his family. The rainbow is colorful and we, for some reason, associate it with like sparkles and unicorns and leprechauns. I don't know where that association came from, to be quite honest, but, but a bow to an ancient person would have been more commonly associated with a war bow. You know what I mean? Like the kind that shoots arrows, okay? God is holy and just, and he cannot let sin go unpunished. He pointed his wrath and justice at the earth in the flood, okay? But the rainbow is pointed towards heaven. And when the justice and the fury of God was released again, it was God himself that took the hit for us. That's more beautiful than you're acting like it is. That's pretty awesome right there. I don't know if the whole Bible is about the gospel. I don't know if the whole Bible is as tied together as you think it is. Man, listen, that rainbow, you know, I know we think about Skittles and pots of gold and whatever. There's a very important reason why God did that exact thing. He was showing us something. That, Noah was a long time before Jesus got on the scene. You understand that, right? That's Genesis 6. We haven't got to Abraham yet. It's a long time where God is showing his hand, where he's given us this hope and this understanding that, yeah, we messed this up, but he's got it. He's going to do something about it. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that Christ took the hit for us. Verses 14 through 18. I'm going to read them again to you so we're refreshed here. 
For he himself, who are we talking about? That's Jesus. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So what is, what is he saying here? He's saying a lot. What is it? Because of sin, there was a dividing wall between God and man, and between man and man. How do I know that? First of all, let's see, does he actually say that, or am I making that up? Okay, was there a division between us and God as a result of sin? Verse 16. And might reconcile them both in one body to who? To God. So those who were near and those who were far off both needed reconciliation to what? To who? To God. Why do they need reconcile? Because there's a wall. There's an issue. There's a separation. There's a division. Verse 18. It says, for through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. What is that? So it's only through Jesus that we have access. So that means without him, we didn't have access. What does that mean? There was a barrier between us and him. There was a division between us and God. Sin clearly causes separation between us and God. Why? God is holy and perfect. The Bible compares him over and over to the pureness of light. His perfect light and our imperfect darkness could not mix. It could not coexist. It's impossible. Thus, there had to be division between us and God. Thankfully, that's not the end of the story. Was there a division between those of us that would be underneath the title mankind? Is there a division between man and man? Let me read verses 15 and 16 to you again. I want you to make sure I'm not making this up. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. So he says there are two different ways that clearly there need to be reconciliation. There need to be a bringing together of we, who would be called mankind, humankind, whichever one you like, because there was separation as a result of sin. In, in, in understanding what he's talking about, making the two into one and what that looks like, one, one commentator said that the idea is not like melting down two statues of the same metal and, and making one out of it. The idea here is like taking a lead statue and a copper statue, melting those down, and somehow out of it comes out a statue of pure gold. It isn't that we have two separate things just being made into one thing. We have two separate broken things being made into one beautiful thing, one better thing. And that's, that's those who were near and those who were far off being brought together and brought into what? The body of Christ. That, we, we are unified because of Christ. It is only he who could bridge the the, the sinful divisions that we constantly throw up 
We are masters at creating classes. We are masters at creating reasons for dividing. And why? Why are we so good at it? Because we still struggle with sin. Even those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ still struggle with the tendency to see themselves as superior, even if they're good at putting on a facade of humility. We are masters at dividing, and sin promotes it. There are walls between each of us and between us and our God. Amen. Now, we have this wall here today. I assume you noticed it. Before I use it to teach this principle that I want to teach, I want to make a disclaimer. Uh, I'm not doing this sermon illustration to try to make the Bible relevant. Um, because we believe wholeheartedly that the Bible is God's word, and thus it is eternally relevant and applicable in every time and place. I'm illustrating this point tonight to follow in the example of Jesus, who used word pictures and illustrations from his surroundings all the time, right? Farmers, doors, vineyards, right? He was always using word pictures. And also the apostle Paul, who did the same thing. In fact, mentioning a wall here, he was doing the exact same thing. He was using a word picture to make a point. Uh, both Jesus and Paul understood that teaching deep principles with visual illustration, it helps people to understand and to remember. And we, we must understand and remember if we're going to be doers of the word and not hearers only, which is important. There actually was a wall. I told you Paul's using a, a technique here of pointing to something physical and visual to explain spiritual things. There actually was a wall in the temple court of that day. There was a physical barrier that separated the Jews who thought themselves clean and the Gentiles who they considered unclean. And many times they even thought of them as barely human. This wall was the result of sinful pride and by the way, the Gentiles hated the Jews for the most part in return because of their arrogance and seeming exclusivity. Paul here is saying that Jesus not only made it, so there is no need for a barrier any longer between us and God, but there is no place for divisions among those who follow him. But what this also shows us is that before Christ rescued us, a dividing wall separating us from God and one another did exist. Paul uses the analogy of the wall in the temple, and what's he doing? He's trying to explain, just like you're dead in your sins, just like you're lost, just like you're sick, he's got, there's this, this next metaphor, this next analogy. He points to the wall in the temple. He's talking about that to help you to understand. The same way that divides, sin divides from God, and sin divides from one another. Paul references this physical wall in the temple court, but he's also pointing to a spiritual reality of division and separation from God and one another without Christ. And this, friends, should be a sobering reality for us. Realizing that this dividing wall of sin, it keeps us from knowing, loving, and trusting God and one another in the way that we were made to. 
We all at one time stood on the wrong side of this dividing wall, separated from the true life that God intended for us and is only found in him. These verses today have told us we were cut off, hopeless in this world, but Jesus came and changed that. Verses 13 and 14 again. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. You see, we have all felt the pain of being disconnected from our true purpose in God. And we have all tried our various pitiful attempts to get through this wall ourselves. Through good works, or positive thinking, or worshiping false idols, we have all tried to get through this wall and grasp the joy, hope, and purpose on the other side. But friends, can we be honest? Can we tell the truth? All of our efforts fail miserably. The truth is, we could, we could try our best to, to try to punch this wall. We could punch it, but all we're going to do is shatter our hands. We could try to kick this wall, but all we're going to do is break our feet. We could try to scratch frantically at this wall, but all we're going to do is bloody the tips of our fingers. We could step back and we could run and try to jump at this wall, but we're never going to make it over on our own. We could get down on our hands and knees and we could try to dig underneath this wall, but we're going to get tired and we're going to fail long before we ever make a dent. However, Jesus Christ brought some tools to this situation, and he brought some power to this problem that none of us ever could have. And when he comes at this wall, it goes straight down. I hope somebody's encouraged by that, because I am. You were lacking what Christ brought to the fight. You couldn't do it. Have you tried before? Will you be honest? Will you tell the truth? Have you tried? Did you have broken hands? Did you have bloody fingertips? How many times did you try and quit? How many times were you discouraged and broken? We all needed Christ to come and do it for us. He came, and he lived a life of perfect obedience to the Father. He then took upon himself the wrath and judgment we deserved. And even though he allowed men who he had created to kill him, three days later he rose. And when he did, this dividing wall was decimated. Praise God. Where there once was a wall, Jesus made a door. Hallelujah. So what does it mean? What does it mean for us that this dividing wall is destroyed by the power of God? What does it mean? Well, verses 19 through 22 tell us. 
the walls down. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints, and you are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. What does it mean that that wall is decimated? It means we no longer go to the house of God, but we have become the house of God. God's ultimate plan was not to simply dwell with us in a temple, not just to be near us, but in us by his Holy Spirit. Jesus made this possible, and it makes a lot of other things possible as well. I want to plead with you, friends, to think about every single relational tension point in your life and apply this truth to it. Whether that relational tension point be with God, whether it be with your spouse or your kids or your friends or other people in the church, think about this. God has set Jesus as the cornerstone. And building off of him, he is making us into a holy temple in the Lord. That's what's said here. How can redeemed people full of God's Holy Spirit, and destined for such a glorious purpose as this, get caught up in some of the temporal pettiness that we often do. How? Can we let ourselves be disgusted at our own tendency for that? Can we acknowledge our collective tendency? What a, what a glorious destiny. To be being, what does it say? Being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit? That we house the presence of God upon the earth? That we are supposed to carry? What, why did, how did Jesus say? Jesus said in one place, I'm the light of the world, didn't he? But then another place he said, you, those who believe in me and follow after me, you're the light of the world. What? Yes. Jesus didn't forget what he said earlier. Jesus by the power of his Holy Spirit, it's like the flame, but we are the holder, man. We are the candle. He's brought us into this glorious destiny of being a part of that redemption plan that started all the way back when he told Adam, a seed is coming that's going to crush the serpent's head. The plan that was unfolding when that rainbow showed up in the sky for the first time, man. When Moses came off Sinai with those tablets, and when David was told, you're going to have a descendant that sits on this throne forever. We are joined now with them. We are a part of God's redemptive plan. This is the church age, friends. We live in the privileged position of being after the finished work of Christ. We are the ones who take the good news of the gospel to the world. And yet sometimes, man, we're bickering with each other about nothing. What are we doing? If we really took seriously this glorious purpose for which we are described to exist right here, I don't think we'd let ourselves be as petty. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think somebody that really, really knows how to fight isn't going to get pulled into a scrap with some dude that just has a mouth. He doesn't have anything to prove. He's, he's not going to get pulled into that mess. Somebody that knows who they really are in God, 
what they've really been called to, what they've really been saved for. It doesn't have to get pulled into all the foolishness that Satan is always dangling out there. I mean, get on with that. No. We can, we can live above that. Furthermore, let's, let's think through this. We're talking about relational tension points. We're talking about the implications of the fact that the wall is down. The wall is down. But man, sometimes we don't live like it. When we remember that each one of us stood on the wrong side of that wall because of sin and treachery against our perfect Father. And we remember that it's only by grace that we aren't still standing there, exhausting our futile efforts at getting through on our own. When we remember that, how then do we refuse to extend grace to others when they sin against us? We have to forget, man, what it was like standing on that wall, thinking we could do it ourselves, trying and failing over and over again. The only way we're not extending grace to others is we're forgetting how much grace has been poured out upon us by Christ. It's the only way. What are you talking about, man? Relational tension points. Listen. Read another marriage book. You should. Praise God. Read all the marriage books, man. But you know what? If we just live the gospel in our marriages, 99.9%, and I dare say 100 of the issues that end up cropping up and causing division among us would not have a chance. It's just the gospel. We just need to believe the gospel and live the gospel. Apply the gospel to your spouse. Remember, you were broken, dead, blind, lost, far off before you try to bring some kind of harsh answer to the person that you committed to live with, to die for, to live for in glorious service of Christ together. I'm not saying there's not complicated issues in marriage. I'm not saying that what I just said is the only answer to everything, but friends, at the root, whatever specific application we come and bring to whatever your specific complex issue is, at the root of it, what it's springing out of, if it's the right answer and it's going to bring healing and help, it's going to spring out of the soil of the gospel. How do we refuse to extend grace to others? How do we ever feel like we deserve on our own to be on the right side of the wall? And then we judge harshly those who we see as not deserving. Oh, friends, we forget. Paul says here that Jesus broke down, broke down the dividing wall that kept us from knowing, loving, and trusting God and one another. The people of God are free from the oppression of that barrier. My question to you is, can we please stop living as if that wall stands? Because oftentimes we do. Jesus has freed us from that barrier. He's brought us through by his blood. And yet sometimes we walk back over there and stand there as if we're still restrained. We make choices to live as not free people when we are free. To those of you hearing this who, who still ache with desire to be reconciled with true life, those of you who may be searching by some way to get through that wall yourself, dear friend, please stop torturing yourself. Please admit that you can't do it on your own and ask Jesus to break down that barrier for you. If you're willing to admit that you're not perfect, that you have sinned, and if you will believe that Jesus paid the price so that you can be made righteous by faith, the Bible says you will be saved. 
There is a wall. I know you felt it. I know it seems insurmountable. And friend, alone, and for you, it is. But Jesus will make quick work of it. If you trust him. Praise God. Hallelujah. I want to address something that may detract from the true meaning of what God has shown us here today. And I feel like I need to address it um, because I think there's a serious risk of somebody perhaps losing the beauty of, of what we've seen here today in God's word. Some might think that this sermon has some veiled purpose of commenting on the current debate over building a wall on our southern border. I'm not joking. There's really people that could see and hear what has been said today and think that somehow it's a comment on that. Uh, let me just say, with absolute certainty, this sermon has nothing to do with that whatsoever. What was said is 100% born out of what the scriptures say here. And this is not commentary on that issue whatsoever. But, since I brought it up and now you're thinking about it, you may be wondering what my opinion is. To be frank, I don't have an opinion, and I don't think most of you should either. Ooh, that was fun, wasn't it? I'm going to say more than that. The reality is, unless you live down near the border and or have access to real data about the relevant issues, your opinion is either uninformed or ill-informed. I don't know about that. Okay, I'm not done yet. If you think you can listen to your favorite news source and get a circumspect, unbiased view of the myriad of complicated issues that need to be thought through, you are deceived. Well, you don't know my news source. I don't care. I, I literally don't care. You might even listen to ones on either side. I do that on purpose. I listen to the most liberal news sources I can find and the most conservative. And I know I still don't have any idea what's happening on the southern border. You know why? Because I live in Ohio. Okay? And this is a great example of one of the ways we will live as if the dividing wall still stands. Because there are Christians, followers of Jesus, at each other's throats over their opinion on an issue that many of them don't even know what they're talking about. Do you understand that Satan will use stuff like this to get you divided from other believers and focused on stuff that, A, you don't even know what you're talking about, B, to somebody who has been brought through the dividing wall and who has been translated from darkness to light and who exists uh, to be in service of the king of an eternal kingdom. I'm not saying that we don't think about political issues. I'm not saying that we aren't engaged in what's going on. Absolutely, I think we should. But there is a point where your blood pressure shouldn't be so high about stuff going on in this kingdom, okay? Can I just say that? <laughs> I wish your blood pressure would get a little higher about eternal things. That's what I wish you'd worry about a little more. Is it okay if I just passed you for a minute? Is that all right? I just decided to do this. And I have the mic, so you can't tell me no. 
This is an example of how oftentimes we act like that dividing wall is still up. We will let Satan divide us over stuff and opinions. And I see some of you out there. I can see, I don't know if you understand that. I can see your face. Some of you still aren't happy that I told you you probably shouldn't have an opinion about it. And maybe, maybe your uncle is a border patrol agent and you've got all the lowdown. Okay, then I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the 98% of the rest of us who like to shoot off at the mouth but don't really know what they're talking about. And here's the other issue, friends. Social media has opened up a platform for everybody to put their opinion out there, for the world to see, and it has fooled many of us into thinking we have to have an opinion on every single issue that people are screaming about. I understand that pressure. Like, you start to see the feed fill up with the angry stuff, and you're like, oh, oh okay, which... Which side am I on? Where am I going to land on this debate? I just, I, <laughs> I realize it sounds, it maybe sounds like I'm coming down to you. What I'm trying to do, I hope you will receive this very freeing good news. I, I want to give you some, some news that will set you free. Ready? You don't have to have an opinion on everything. How do you feel? Take a deep breath and just soak that in, man. Really, you don't. I realize there are many people that would say to me, how are you, you going to pastor a congregation and not have an opinion about the wall? <laughs> Listen, homeboy, if I lived in, you know, Arizona or the bottom tip of Texas, I'd have an opinion about it because I'd be there and have some information. I wouldn't be relying on whatever spinster I heard something from or some super edited video or whatever right? We got to be smart, man. No, I don't have an opinion about it because I'm, I know I don't actually know what's happening down there. I don't even know if the people that are supposed to know, know, right? And yet we're going to get all up in arms over this stuff and, e and even talk down to and bad about other Christians who made a different uninformed opinion than you, <laughs> right? Wow. You don't have to have an opinion on everything. Oh, here's something else that will set you free. And even if you do have an opinion on something, it probably matters far less than you think. <laughs> oh, this is fun. Amen. Amen. The, the truth will set you free. <laughs> That's all I'm trying to do, man. I'm trying to set you free because I love you. No, really, this, this is really an issue. This is an issue for us as, as a people and a culture. Uh, and we got we to gotta quit being, being driven by this foolishness. Amen. Amen. Because God has declared death to division... May we be a people who know, love, and trust God and one another the way we were made to for his glory and our good. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for these scriptures. We thank you for, yet again, you giving us word pictures and metaphors that help us to understand deep spiritual truth. God, thank you that you're willing to Distill your thoughts that are so much higher than ours 
You're willing to distill those down into our language, and you're willing to communicate with us. You're willing to teach us and show us who you are, how you operate, who we are, how it is we can fulfill the purpose for which we were created. God, we need your help to do this. Lord, I thank you that uh, though we were far off, we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Thank you. God, may we treasure May we treasure that picture. May we understand how far off we really were, how lost we really were. And may we every single day wake up with grateful, thankful hearts that we've been brought near. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that there was a dividing wall, but there isn't anymore. I thank you, Jesus, that you brought to bear all of the power and all that was needed to crush that wall into dust. Thank you that we no longer have to live in the shadow of a division from you and from others. Thank you that you have set us free. Thank you that your vision for us and your purpose for us is far more glorious than we can even understand with how much you've told us. That you're taking people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. That you're taking people from all different walks of life. You're taking people that aside from you, would have nothing to do with one another. And you're not only making us friends, you're not only causing us to gather together for worship, you are making us into one body that functions with the unity that you and the Father do. Thank you, Lord. You prayed that in John 17, and then you made a way for it to happen. Thank you, God, that you're so working this in us. Lord, we confess our sin. We confess our tendency to be petty, to be pulled into temporal Goofy thinking, God, help us. Help us to have eternal eyes and eternal minds. Help us, Lord, to be concerned most greatly about the things of your kingdom. God, we want to understand well enough what's happening around us to be effective in sharing your gospel. But God, help us not to be entangled so deeply in the affairs of this world. Thank you that we are your children. Thank you that we don't have to get pulled into every little fight. Thank you, Lord, that you fight for us. <laughs> we love you and we worship you. God, I ask, for, I ask for supernatural change to result because we've approached your word humbly and because you have worked in our hearts. God, I don't want to just leave here and for us to say, cool, we had another sermon. God, I am asking you by the power of your spirit to cultivate in us a wonder, and an obedience out of all that you've shown us today. Help us live as if the wall is down. Please, God, help us live as a people who were scattered and hopeless but have been brought together for one purpose. Thank you, God, it's possible by the power of your spirit. We submit to all that you're doing, and we're thankful for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.